Welcome to Coaching for a Living, a podcast for coaches who want to build financially viable coaching businesses and make a living doing what they love. I'm your host, Alisa Barkan, and I am thrilled to have you here. Are you ready to take the next step in your coaching business? Let's go. Hello, hello, onion rings. Welcome or welcome back to Coaching for a Living, friends. Today we are joined by Dr. Jill Stevens, who is an experienced design thinking professional and leadership and executive coach with exposure to working in a multicultural setting. Jill and I met at the University of Cambridge, where I qualified as a coach under her expert guidance and that of the other tutors. Jill is a qualified coach herself and workplace mediator whose coaching practice and experience span across organization levels, generations and cultures. She also works as a design thinking coach facilitating design sprints for in-house teams and is working on developing a team coaching model based on design thinking principles. In this episode, Jo will share with us her story of becoming a coach, some of the challenges she encountered along the way, one of her favorite coaching approaches, and how she now blends coaching and design thinking to foster creativity. Jo, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's great to be here, Elisa. It's great to have you here. So for the purposes of the audience who probably don't know this, Jill and I go back quite some time and we've gotten to know each other in a professional capacity, but also in a personal capacity as friends, if you want. And I know a little bit more about Jill than maybe most of her students do. Um, and I know she has a very interesting story of becoming a coach and the kind of coaching that she did and she still does and where she did that. So, Joe, I want you to share with the audience what your story of becoming a coach is. Yeah, I'd be delighted to. Let me just start by saying how I got into coaching, which in a way it goes back a long time. <laughs> um, I've been involved with coaching in one shape or form for about hmm, about 20 years. So, you know, when yeah. coaching was in its infancy, I got interested in it. But it was mainly because my professional life has always been around people development, organizational development, and all the things that go with that. And coaching was part and parcel of that. But I guess, really, for me, I did more coaching in a professional capacity starting about 15 years ago and working with managers and leaders in organizations to help them to bring about some sort of change in their personal or professional lives. And as we know, coaching now has become such a popular intervention that um, I think in any organization, I would be surprised if, if people don't know or have heard about coaching in some shape or form. Hmm. So you did quite a bit of coaching in a different country. Would you like to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I, I was very fortunate. I was um, able to go over to the Philippines um, for, oh, I think I was there for about six years. And um, I worked in a university. I taught in a university around human behavior in organizations. And again, you know, there were many opportunities to introduce coaching to organizations, but also to coach people as well. Um, I think I learned an awful lot about myself as a coach, but also about this idea of cross-cultural coaching. 
Um, mm. You know, for those who haven't seen me, I'm, well, I, I'm a woman, I'm older. <laughs> I have grey hair as well, which in Asia <laughs> actually does <laughs> stand out quite a bit. And especially mm. in the capacity of helping people to learn in education, um, it, it, it kind of gives you a privilege that I was really unaware of before. And so some of my coaching when I started, my ethos as, as many coaches is about the responsibility lies with the, the individual. And that's probably what coaching is all about in the Western world. Yeah. But I was very surprised in a way to be involved with some coaching projects where there was an expectation that I would give answers. So it felt a little bit more like mentoring. Mm. But I think gradually, gradually, I learned to accommodate what people wanted as much as staying true to my own sort of ethical and professional behavior. But it was an interesting yeah. time, very interesting time indeed. I have spent as much time in Asia as you did, but uh, I did have colleagues who were from that part of the world. And I noticed that um, maybe sometimes they would find it really difficult to challenge something that you said or to say no to you when they knew very well that actually they couldn't accommodate your requests. But it's just part of the culture sometimes to try and please the other person and to, it's almost like a, a form of respect yeah. to be respectful of them and not challenge. And when When it comes to coaching, and like you said, the onus is on the individual and they take full responsibility of what's happening. But when they come into the coaching engagement expecting you to give them the answers, it's a completely different dynamic than what coaching is all about, right? <laughs> indeed, indeed. So is there a way that you might have found to deal with, with these challenges of coaching in a, in a different culture? Maybe there's a particular coaching approach that worked best for that situation? I think for me, what, what it was, was really, as I say, the tension between wanting to provide my clients, if you like, with what they needed, but also not wanting to be seen to be the expert with all the answers. And mm. I think, I think it's, it's very much about developing the relationship And yeah. as we know in coaching, that's that's really at the heart of what makes good coaching and the trust and the respect that sits on both sides of that relationship. And I think that that's probably what helped over time when I, I encourage people, I encourage people to take a little bit more responsibility. It was really nothing different to what I would do normally, but I think we had to work harder at that once we got over that hurdle and actually I did when I when I noticed what was going on I would actually talk about it and explain to the person I was coaching and how it worked you know how I would work with somebody perhaps back in the UK and they they understood it you know they got it they embraced coaching they really did but I think it was just at the beginning it was a bit of a shock to me you know one of the many culture shocks that I experienced of of living and working in a different country But all good stuff, yeah. all good stuff. But I think it is about staying true to your principles as a coach, but also recognizing that sometimes you have to flex your style a bit to meet mm. them, you know, perhaps more than halfway to start with. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. What does your coaching look like now after 
so many years of practicing. <laughs> Do you find anything surprises you anymore? Have you experienced any new techniques or maybe a new twist on an old technique that you're using now in your business? Well, as you know, because you know me, as, as you say, as a person and as, as a coach, and um, my approach is very much based on gestalt, gestalt principles. Um, mm. But I don't, it's interesting, the last, just recently with the uh, diploma that um, I'm working with at the moment at Cambridge, and uh, we're on the last unit, and, and one of the things we talk about is this eclectic coach um, approach which which draws mm. on many things and I think the more coaching you do and it's not about the years that you do it but you know the more you get into coaching you become that eclectic coach that that draws on many different principles many different tools and techniques and sometimes it's hard to actually think what was I using there you know was there a framework was there a model or was I really just going with my intuition and I think for me, without sounding, wanting to sound arrogant about it, there is, there is a flow to working in the moments. And I think for me, when I'm coaching now, it is about, about working in the moment with what I'm noticing, what I'm observing, not only in myself, but also in my clients. Um, I think one of the, the big things that has, has probably had an effect on me and the coaching I've done is obviously the more uh coaching we do virtually um mm. you know two years ago i didn't really do very much virtual coaching if at all and then suddenly we were all parachuted into this virtual world um and that to begin with was a bit of a challenge for me but now i it's almost the reverse it's like if i'm working in the physical world with somebody that kind of feels very different so yeah yeah I found I found the same. I mean, even before the pandemic, I was still very much my coaching was mostly done virtually because that's the way that I set my business. But I still I still saw some of my clients face to face and we did sessions and that hasn't happened in a very long time now, at least two years. Right. And uh, um, I haven't had a, an in-person coaching session since. And if if you were to tell me you can have one tomorrow, I'm going to think, oh, well, that's new. I, I haven't done that in a while. So, um, yeah, it's funny how sometimes things that we were used to doing and were a common occurrence, we haven't done them for a while. And all of a sudden they, they become something new. I want to go back a little bit. You mentioned Gestalt coaching. Um, for listeners who are not, maybe not familiar with Gestalt, can you can you give us a, a short definition of what Gestalt is and how it's different from other coaching approaches? Um, so Gestalt coaching is based on Gestalt psychology, Gestalt philosophy, and the word Gestalt is a German word for which there's no direct translation. And, uh, you know, when in, in the student environment, we, we, we always laugh about how, how do we try and make sense of this? But the word Gestalt, I believe means it's the whole. So if we look at coaching, what does that actually translate into? So we're trying to make sense of the whole for, for whatever that means. Um, and I think some of the principles of Gestalt coaching, which are similar to other approaches, but perhaps different, um, 
it's about working with, in terms of awareness, it's working with what is the coach noticing in the moment. You know, what are they observing? How, how, what are they feeling? What sort of cues are they picking up from their client? But also encouraging their client to notice what is happening for them. So we mm. talk about in terms of awareness, could be directed awareness or indirected awareness, which means, you know, directed awareness is, well, we try to focus on something and bring something into awareness that the client wants to work on around their situation. Undirected awareness is, well, you know, what are you thinking about right now? What What is coming into your awareness? Is there an image or is there a feeling? And working with that. And I think that's very powerful because it gives the client permission in a way to work on things that perhaps they feel that they haven't got time to do. They, they want to put it to one side. But the whole thing about awareness, you know, the, the key thing for coaching is about raising awareness and then working with what that means for the client. Um, mm. And so the other connected thing is in the here and now. So working with, you know, whatever that might mean to the client, how does it show up in the here and now? I'm sure there are lots and lots of other things that probably I've forgotten. But for me, that's that's sort of some of the key things that I try to bring to my coaching and to my clients. I know Gestalt is really powerful because it can feel so liberating for both the coach and the coachee to just focus on what is happening right now and not feel that pressure of getting a particular result, for example, or thinking about how to get to that result and putting a plan together and so on. But at the same time, I feel like because coaching is, um, is always portrayed as results focused from a coach's point of view, especially if you're a new coach, it can be quite difficult to include Gestalt because you don't know, let's take the grow model, for example, that takes you through a step-by-step approach. And you know that at the end, you will have talked about objectives and you will have talked about what the client is committing to doing by next time and so on. And it's almost like a, a peace of mind that at least you got them to do something and to commit to something and they have something to go on until next time. When you apply Gestalt, it's like, okay, we've had this powerful in-the-moment experience, but because it's results-focused, what I'm doing here as a coach, how can I portray the value of this? So essentially, I think what I'm asking is, as a new coach, how can you let go of some of the, the models that you have learned during your qualification and apply this model that doesn't have a structure and it, it relies more on awareness and intuition and being in the moment. I think it's a, it's a really difficult thing to do because there's no handholding for you as a coach anymore. You're right. And I think, I think the danger is that we try to put too many labels on what we're doing. And I would suspect that even a new coach is using some gestalt principles that perhaps they are unaware of and probably blending it with something like the GROW model, other models or other approaches that they feel comfortable with using because there's a structure to it. So, so my take on this is 
not to get too hung up with, am I using a gestalt approach? Am I using a psychodynamic approach? Am I using a solutions focused approach? Always think about what you're trying to do for your client. And even when I'm using Gestalt, I still ask my clients at the beginning of the session, so how do you want to use the session today? Mm-hmm. And so there's still this intention to have some sort of goal for the session, but there may be some aspects of Gestalt I bring into the conversation as we, we move through. So I think that it's about being courageous to try things that work for you as a coach and not to get too worried about putting labels on things or trying to make too much sense of it. You can do that afterwards when you reflect back on what was happening there. Um, yeah. And I think it's absolutely fine to use something that gives you a structure. I mean, you know, sometimes I just have in my head the grow model because I know <laughs> I have a finite time with my client for that session. And I know that perhaps I pick up from them that they want to get to something that at the end of the session, that they will feel they have something tangible. So, you know, that's perfectly okay. And I'll just add one thing about it as well, is that it's all about thinking what works for the client. So, you know, Gestalt does feel a little bit um, fluid and a little bit intangible. If somebody is working with an executive in an organization, they probably want a slightly more solutions focused type approach because for them it's about, you know, time is money and we need to get to some sort of tangible outcome. So that's absolutely fine. It's what's important to the client rather than what's important to the coach. I just believe that coaches develop a way of working that feels good for them and it comes with experience like anything. The more comfortable you feel with trying different things and experimenting. I mean, you know, we don't always get it right. I don't always get it right. But yeah. as long as I just keep my client at the heart of the process, then I believe we get to a point that is good for them. Absolutely. I remember the first time I had the courage to leave aside any models inside the coaching session and just go with what I thought the client needed in that moment. And we ended up doing a role modeling exercise and at the end of it my client said this was one of the most magical moments I've ever had because it shifted my perspective I wasn't very experienced at the time but it comes with courage to say you know what I'm just gonna let this go because it's not about me and what I want to get out of the session it's about what the client wants and what I feel they need in this moment in time so um, yeah it can be really powerful that's good to hear Elisa but yeah (laughs) Yeah. did you find with uh, with your students how long does it take them to become courageous because you're with them for almost a year aren't you so you can kind of see a, a progress there oh absolutely I mean I'm always so happy when you know well it's it's a sort of a (laughs) a double-edged sword of happiness, really. You're coming to the end of the programme, which lasts an academic year. Um, But to see how much students have progressed in terms of their confidence, their ability to, as you say, let go of things, to try something and be courageous about it and to experiment is great. So 
I think it just comes from the support that the students get from one another as much as the tutors. But, you know, the encouragement that they get that they are doing the right thing. And as you know, we have lots of opportunities for coaching conversations, for coaching sessions where the students get feedback on what they've done. And in fact, the last round of coaching that we've just done in the official Zoom days that we had together, I was working with a group of students and it was just fascinating to see how much their confidence had grown and how professional they were. And I remarked to one particular student because they, at the beginning of the course, they were very much worried about Will I ever understand what this is all about in a way? You know, they had coaching experience, but they were just trying to look at ways of, of developing themselves, developing their practice. So, yes, there's definitely, definitely a trajectory, if you like, of improvement that comes from the knowledge that they get, the practical experience that they develop. So, yes, it can be done. And beyond the official program. So it's always nice like to keep in touch with people like yourself to see past students and see how their business is growing, how they're developing as a coach and working through things. So that's always mm. good. Yeah, I bet it is. <laughs> you feel like oh, I've contributed to that <laughs> as well as that and that and that. <laughs> so, yeah, it must be a, a great feeling. Um, going back to um, Gestalt, I, I know that you use the approach um, as part of your design thinking work to foster creativity. So it's not just a coaching approach. You can use Gestalt in many other ways. Would you like to give us an example of what that looks like? Well, I suppose if I backtrack a little bit, um, how, I got in, how I got interested in Gestalt before coaching um, was again, a long time ago when I was doing my PhD, which focused on creative problem solving and particularly intuition in creative problem solving. So there was a natural um, connection between Gestalt and creativity. And um, so that has always been there. And I think that's why I was drawn more to Gestalt coaching, because I could see the connection between the flow, between sort of an intuitive approach between just working with what might come into your awareness, into your intuition. So that there felt like a natural, a natural accord there. Um, and then actually when I was in Asia, I got interested in design thinking because that too is a problem solving approach. And the reason I think I got so in, into it was that the um, approach is very much focused on what are the people who are experiencing the problem, i.e. the end users for whom you are trying to resolve the problem, what are they really experiencing? And to work from that perspective rather than working from a traditional problem-solving approach often puts the people who are trying to come up with the solutions in the role of experts. And so it's kind of shifting the role, perhaps, and with Gestalt, you know, that's exactly it. You're trying to be more creative in your approach towards things. And there is, a, as I say, a natural, a natural alignment between 
the creativity that is needed within design thinking, which I guess is underpinned by some of the Gestalt principles that sit very nicely in trying to get to a, a solution. But of course, the process allows for things like failure, not getting it right. Um, mm. You know, they talk about failing fast, but learning very fast as well. So there were lots of things, I think, that, that sat very nicely. And so the whole idea of design thinking has, I think, become um, more important to me. And I've recently looked at how I can how I can blend and merge the design thinking process with coaching. So I'm now at a stage where uh, I'm developing a team coaching process that draws on design thinking principles that has a little bit of gestalt in there as part of the process. Um, and that's very exciting. So that's what's keeping me busy in terms of my coaching at the moment, developing this process and finding some people who would be willing to trial it. So, Yeah, that's fascinating. I'm pretty sure that gestalt and design thinking and then team coaching are a super combination. <laughs> Where can people find out more about this if they're interested in maybe trialing it or maybe just finding out how it works and so on? Where can they find out more? Um, well, I suppose the, the key thing, because we are very much in a, a prototyping stage, would be to contact me either through my website or through my LinkedIn, I'd be very happy to chat through how it works. And if there is a team that would like to be part of the prototyping stage, then that would be fantastic. I am working with an organization at the moment who um, we're just part way through the process. So perhaps once I've finished the process from, you know, gone through one cycle of it, if you like, um, I'll be able to write that up and perhaps share it a little bit more widely. Um, yeah. But yeah. Well, for the moment, we're going to share links to your website and to your LinkedIn and to everything that's relevant in the show notes. But thank you so much, Joe, for coming to share your expertise and your knowledge with us. And I'm pretty sure people are now going to, if they haven't already, think about giving Gestalt a chance and incorporating that into their coaching repertoire. So thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you, Elisa. It's been a pleasure to reconnect with you. And uh, yeah, I look forward to um, listening to more podcasts. <laughs> Thank you. It was a pleasure having you. You just finished listening to an episode of the Coaching for a Living podcast. Did you know that you can send me an audio message directly? Check out the show notes for a link that allows you to do that. You can use it to send in a question you have about building a coaching business or to simply share your impressions about the podcast and any suggestions for what content you'd like me to cover in the future. I cannot wait to hear from you. Again, check out the show notes for the link and who knows, maybe I'll feature your message in a future episode. All right, that's it for today. I'm Alisa Barkan and I'll catch you next time.